If you are uh, visiting Addis, or one of the things that people will often ask me when they first come to the city of Addis, why are there so many buildings that aren't finished? It doesn't take long driving around the city to see like there are lots of buildings that are in the process of being built all over this city. In fact, here at IEC, we're in the process of building a building. If you've been here with us, you've maybe heard about it. I would hope you would. And maybe you've even ventured around the back of this building to see where we're building a youth center. And let me just tell you, my excitement and enthusiasm toward the building of that youth center is high. And it's not high because of a building. Buildings are great. There's nothing wrong with buildings. But what has got my excitement about this building is knowing that this will be a place where generations of young people will be taught and trained and built up in the faith where they'll encounter our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That indeed the, the future of IEC, of this church, will be built back in that youth center as the next generation of leaders are raised up. This youth center, it'll be used far beyond any of our lives for the glory of God. So it excites me. And, and knowing that there's really, when this youth center is built, I don't know of any other youth center that will be like this here in the city. So it will be a gift that I believe God is going to use for a long, long, long time. So I would encourage you, if you haven't seen where it's being built, go look at it. It's starting to take shape. Um, we also are still uh, in the need of finishing funding it. So if that's something God lays on your heart, we would encourage you, invest in that next generation. As much as we get excited as a church about taking the gospel to those who've never heard, and that does excite us as a church, we also get excited about investing the gospel in the next generation. That's the thing a church always has to be faithful to do. So we look at this youth center and believe it's going to be a huge part of that. Well, we've been working for eight months on the youth center, and we've been working primarily, get this, on the foundation. We had to dig down and lay a firm foundation because if the foundation for the youth center isn't built well, everything else will fall apart. And Jesus, Jesus' vocation was that of a carpenter. And, and the Greek, the Greek word that, that is, we translate commonly as carpenter is tekton. And it carries the idea not just of a finished carpenter, but of a builder. And in Israel, everything was built out of stone. So Jesus, he was used to working with rocks and building buildings and building stone. And he's going to close this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to close it like a lot of good preachers would with an illustration, an illustration that is meant to, to you, for you to take with you, for you to hold on to, you, to, to pull you into applying the sermon. And his illustration is that of a builder 
That's what Jesus did. And Jesus finishes the sermon going back to his vocation of a builder. So let's, uh, let's read our passage today, the closing of this sermon. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. Uh, if not, you can look on your phone and the words will be on the screen. But let's stand for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Hear the Word of our Lord. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and, and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. This is the word of God. For the people of God and all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word declares that all men are like grass and all our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word stands forever. May this be the word that is faithfully preached today. Unless you speak, nothing of any eternal significance will be spoken. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, Jesus is in the closing of this sermon. And, and as I've mentioned, we've been looking at the closing section of the sermon for the last three weeks. And Jesus doesn't end this sermon on a soft easy, comfortable place. In fact, the words of Jesus are very difficult as he ends the sermon. He speaks of two gates. One gate is narrow. One gate is wide. He speaks of two roads. One road is easy. One road is hard. He speaks of two prophets. One prophet is a wolf. One prophet is a true prophet. He speaks of two believers before Christ. To one, he'll say, I never knew you. Even though I said I believed I never knew you. And to other, he'll say, come in. And he speaks of two different destinations. And this is a hard, heavy reality that the Bible teaches. That everyone, whoever lives, whoever has lived, has one of two eternal destinations. Scripture takes us there. To try to uh, ignore that would be to try to remove what Jesus firmly places in his teaching. That you're either 
headed for life, life in the full, glorious life, grace-filled life, life that is with Christ forever? Or you're headed for what he refers to as destruction. Commonly, Jesus will speak of that by calling it hell. We don't like to speak of this. Often in our churches, people avoid speaking of this. But Jesus did not because he knew it was a reality. One of my favorite stories, story I've read to my children. I've watched movies with this story. Indeed, it's one of the most famous stories told in the last 500 years. It's a, a book that has never gone out of print for, over five, for nearly 500 years. It's called... A Pilgrim's Progress. And it's written based on Jesus' closing of this sermon. Now, it takes from the totality of all of Scripture's teaching, but the, the main focus is on this. And it's an allegory. Now, what an allegory, what that means, it's a story that is told to present to you reality. To present to you truth through the form of a story. And it was written by a man named John Bunyan when he was put in prison for his faith. And it tells the story of a man named Christian. Christian is born in the city of destruction. That's where he's headed, is for destruction. But he meets a man named Evangelist, and Evangelist tells him of the celestial city. And he says, but to go to the celestial city, you've got to enter through the wicked gate, the narrow gate. That's the only way you can go to the celestial city. And this man, Christian, has this burden on his back, this heavy weight. And it's when he comes to the cross that this heavy weight that he is carrying is destroyed. Along the journey... He meets people like Mr. Legality, a legalist. He meets people like Mr. Worldly Wise Man, who seeks to push him with the wisdom of the world. And one of the things that Christian asks evangelist is this, how will I know which road? How will I know if I'm on the right road? And evangelist tells him, it will always be the more difficult road you see, Jesus doesn't paint the picture that the Christian life is a life of ease, a life of comfort, a life of live however we want to live. No, he, he paints the picture that the Christian life is often very difficult, that the gate is narrow and that Christ is the gate, that few enter the way of life. And I've said this for the last few weeks. That word few is so heavy. Few enter through the gate that leads to life. Many enter through the wide gate that leads to destruction. And that's grievous. That's hard. That's heavy. And that's how Jesus is closing this sermon. And we see that the Christian life, it's going to be difficult. 
It's hard to be honest when a little lie seems to work for your benefit. It's hard to have integrity when, when bending the rules would seem to work out for your benefit. It's hard to go to a brother or sister and someone and said, I've done wrong to you. I've sinned against you. These things are hard. The Christian life is not an easy life. Yet, as Jesus mentioned, the false prophets, we talked about them last week, they love to tell you that the Christian life is easy. Now, to be a Christian is easy. Jesus does all the work. But walking out our faith in this world is difficult. And the Bible doesn't hide that. Now, the false prophets want to tell you, if you're really a Christian, it'll be easy. If you're a Christian... God's going to bless you if you have enough faith with money, with health, with all these things. And that is not what Scripture teaches. That is taking the Bible and twisting it for our own wants. No, but the destination is secure. That's the good, glorious news. Our Savior Jesus has secured the destination for the Christian. For the Christian, we are headed toward the celestial city in this life, we're going to encounter hardship, but that is our destination and is for certain. And Jesus today, he closes with an illustration about building. Because here's the reality. Whether you think this way or not, here's what you are doing. Everybody, as they live life, is building. You're building something. The question is, what's the foundation you're building upon? Because that affects even what you're building. It starts in verse 24. It says, everyone then, that word then, um, the NIV uses the word therefore everyone. That word therefore or then pulls us back to the rest of the sermon. Jesus has been preaching this sermon. He's talked about the Beatitudes, that we're to have an attitude of humility. He's talked about being soft and light. He's talked about right interpretation of the law. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. So he said, hey, you've heard it said don't murder. Jesus is examining your heart. Do you have anger in your heart? Because no one will ever murder if they don't have anger. Hey, you've heard it said don't commit adultery. But do you have lust in your heart? Jesus in this sermon is speaking to his followers and a group of religious leaders. And he's contrasting what outward religion looks like with what a heart transformed looks like. And oftentimes those look the same. There can be a person whose heart is not transformed, but they can come to church and sing and praise God, and their outward actions look like that of a Christian. But their heart is far from God. Their heart's not for him. So Jesus, in this sermon, is doing heart surgery. He goes into religious practices. Hey, how you give, how you pray, how you fast, all these things, do you do it for show? Or is it to draw near to a holy God who loves you? He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What is it you treasure? I'll give you, he gives some clues how to tell what you treasure. What is it that you worry about? Your worry reveals 
the things that you treasure. And then he says, do not judge, because what do we often do? We often judge people with what we treasure. Hey, if you treasure money, you look and go, well, hey, I've got more than someone else. If your greatest treasure is your family, that's not a bad thing, but it doesn't come before God. Then you look at how everybody else is handling their family. You see, our treasures often aren't bad things, but anything that becomes before God can be a treasure and our heart can be there. No, Jesus is asking you, and only you can do this, to do heart surgery. Nobody else can really see what's going on inside your heart. They might get glimpses by your actions, but for us, Jesus is pulling us into this, and he says, everyone... So therefore, this is for everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Two things he's talking about, hearing and doing. When Jesus speaks of hearing, he's usually speaking of not merely hearing like you listen to me right now, but that you hear it, it impacts your heart, it affects your life, and it begins to change how you live. That God uses it. It's not just merely hearing. It's a hearing that changes. And he says that we are to do what we've learned in the Sermon on the Mount. Now there's a caution here. And I want to make sure we know this caution and we guard against it. The Bible speaks of works. But here's where some get confused. Some think works adds to salvation. Some thinks your works saves you. We don't believe that. That's not what the Bible teaches. No, Christ is all sufficient. He's all you need to be saved. Scripture teaches that. We sang about that in Christ alone. That's our only hope is Christ. It's not in your effort, it's not in your works, it's not in anything you bring to the table. But here's the thing. The person whose heart has been transformed by Christ, who's a new creation, works will flow from their life. Works are evidence that a person has been saved. But don't get it backwards. Works do not save. So Jesus here, he's saying, whoever hears these words and does them is like the wise man. He's going to compare two men, a wise man and a foolish man. Both of these men are in the same situations. He's been giving us two options, two roads, two gates, two prophets. Now he's going to give us two men, the wise man and the foolish man. And everybody is living like one of these two, the wise or the foolish. There's entire books of the Bible like Proverbs dedicated to the wise and the foolish. So here, he's pulling us into this guy and he says, the wise man, he's going to build his house on the rock. Now, when we speak of the rock, there's to be a, a comparison here of what the rock is. Now, Jesus tells this same story again. In the book of Luke, he tells it again. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 48, listen, he gives us a little bit more information about this rock. Listen to this. He, meaning the wise man, is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. One builder 
the wise man, he goes and he digs down deep below the sand. Now, if you've ever been to Israel or you know anything about Israel, it's a very dry place. In fact, most of the year, it's dry. Israel gets very, very little rain. So the ground in Israel is very hard. In fact, what is sand can appear to be a rock during the most dry season. We encounter that a little bit here. The month of May. May is perhaps the driest month of the year. It, dusty. Dust gets on everything. My allergies during the month of May, they start to bother me so much. But I know something. Rain's coming. And when the rainy season comes, that ground that is so hard, all of a sudden, it becomes soft. If you step in it, you get muddy. And what this man does, the wise man knows that that is not rock. He digs below the sand and builds upon the rock. The foolish man, he builds on the sand. Now when we speak of the rock. Jesus, in another encounter with his disciples, in Matthew 16, he takes his disciples out of Israel to a city that was known for its wickedness, was known for its immorality. It was one of the worst cities we see in the New Testament. It's called Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus takes these 12 Jewish young men to this city to ask them the most important question he will ever ask them. This is the most important question that anyone will ever be asked. I believe it's the most important question in the Bible. He asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And each person has to answer that. No one can answer that for you. Who do you say that Jesus is? And Peter speaks up, Peter being the leader of the disciples. He's the oldest, so he's expected to speak up. And he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And they would have been standing on this rock. Because there's this huge rock in Caesarea Philippi. And the word that's used for rock there is Petra, meaning like a mountain. And that's the same word that's used in our passage today to build on a rock. It's like a rock that is huge, that's enormous. But when he says Peter, he refers to Peter as Petros, meaning like a small rock, a small pebble. And Jesus says to Peter, On this rock I will build my church. Jesus will build the church. The church is built upon this truth that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the very truth that the church is built upon. That is our foundation that the church is built upon. And what is the church? Sometimes we think of the church as a building. No, a building's where we gather. We call this location the church, but it's not really the church, it's a church building. What is the church? The church is believers whose heart has been transformed by Christ, that have been redeemed, that have repented of their sins and trusted in the sufficiency of Christ. That is the church. The church are those who have built their life upon the rock that is Christ. 
So here, as he closes this sermon, he says, The wise man builds his house upon the rock. And the very rock he's referring to is himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. I'll actually focus on verse 11. It says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation of the church. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth who, are see, who seem to be roaming, seem to be looking at other foundations. And he says there's only one foundation for the church, and that's Jesus Christ. So the wise builds on the rock. Down in verse 26, he'll speak the same words. He say, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. This is a person who is not obeying what he set forth in the, in the great in, here in the Sermon on the Mount. This person he calls foolish. The word here is moros. It's where we get an English word, moron. This person hears, audibly hears, about God's plan for salvation through Christ, yet that's not what that person builds their life on. They build their life on sand. Sand, here's a picture of building your life on worldliness. Building your life on your own self. Seeking to build your own kingdom more than you're seeking to build the kingdom of God. No, he says, those things are sand. So two people... Wise man builds on the rock. Foolish man builds on the sand. They both build houses. The houses here appear to be right next to each other. So you got two houses that appear to be right next to one another. But verse 25 and 27 start the exact same. Word for word the same. Listen, I'm going to read 25. It says, And the rain fell, and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat against that house. Every word there is the exact same in 27, with one exception. It changes. 25 says, but the house did not fall. 27 says, and it fell. Two different houses. Same house. They both encounter the exact same thing. A storm. And this is what Jesus, he's not hiding this. You will encounter storms in life. Guaranteed. We live after the fall of humanity, after Genesis 3. Once the fall occurred, everything felt its impact. And because of that, because we live in a broken, fallen world, don't be surprised by war, by economic strife, by disease, by famine, by hatred of one man for another. It shows us that this world has fallen and that we need a Savior. So the storm will come. Most of you have lived through many storms, some great, some small. I heard a pastor friend of mine give this example. He's speaking of some friends of his 
husband and wife who decided they would go on a cruise ship. Now, a cruise ship is a large boat that people will go on to enjoy, and they'll go visit different places. But on this particular cruise ship, on their first night there, a storm hit. And it was a huge storm. And the storm hit so big that the wife got terrified. So she decided, I need to know what's going on. So she picks up the phone and calls the captain's office and says, May I speak to the captain? And his assistant said, Well, the captain is guiding the ship right now. So he can't talk to you. Can you leave a message and I'll get it to him? And she says, Yes, I want to know um, how long the storm will last. When will the storm calm down? If we have to turn around because of the storm, will we get a refund? She asks all these ridiculous questions. And the assistant kindly says, okay, I'll give those to him and hangs up. Well, the woman, being impatient, calls back after a few minutes because she hasn't heard anything and asks again. I want to speak to the captain. Well, I've already talked to the captain. And he wanted me to give you a message. He has two things he wants you to know. First, he says you should go to sleep. He says you should go to bed and rest easy because he is trained for the storm. He is trained to be a ship captain and he has encountered storms like this before. So he knows how to guide the ship through the storm. So you can go to sleep. He knows what he's doing. Secondly, he said the ship the ship is built in a way for the storm. The ship, when they built the ship, the designers, the architects, they knew the storm is coming. So they built the ship to handle the storm. So again, you can go to sleep and rest easy knowing that the ship is made and built and prepared for the storm. Jesus ends on this illustration because of this. No one can really, truly examine your heart for you. No one can truly, fully tell what is going on inside your heart. Now, sometimes your actions may scream that you're far from God, and they can tell that. It's probably going on in your heart. But Jesus, remember who he's given this message to. He's speaking to his followers with religious leaders there. These are two groups of people that look the exact same. The religious leader and the person whose heart's been transformed by God outwardly appear the same. They both praise God. They both worship God. They both pray to God. They both cry out to God. But for the religious, merely it is all about show. Do other people see? Do they recognize? They're doing it to earn, to try to get God's favor. And you can't tell the difference. If you were to look at this building, no one knows what the foundation looks like. We never look at the foundation. We can't see it. If you take these two houses, they look the exact same. You can't see the foundation. 
When, do you, when is the foundation revealed? During the storm. Storms are going to come in life. And when those storms come, that's going to reveal where your heart really is. It's going to reveal what your true foundation is. Is your foundation Christ and the rock that is Jesus? Or is your foundation shaky sand? Is your foundation this world? Is it worldly wisdom? Is your foundation yourself? If your foundation is anything other than Jesus Christ, it will be revealed in the midst of the storm, and the storm will come. We will encounter storms in life. Don't let someone lie to you and tell you that we will not encounter any storms. No. We all know that to be untrue. You are going to encounter hardship and difficulty and pain and suffering in life. We don't like that. We don't want it. It reminds you of a few things. This is not your home. God will not let you be so comfortable on this side of eternity that you don't long to be in his presence for all eternity, in eternal life. You won't be comfortable here. People try to make this world really comfortable and do all these things and try to make this life their kingdom. It will fail you every time. Now it's during the storm that it's revealed where our hope and our security is. And our hope and our security is to be in Christ. Now Jesus, he spoke of a storm that is to come near the end of his life. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 and 39, listen to what he said. For as we're in the days of Noah, so Noah faced a literal storm, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all the way, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus Christ is going to return. That is secure. We know He will return. And when He returns, for some it will be like the ultimate storm. Their foundation will be revealed. Is your foundation Christ or is your foundation something else? Where is your hope? What does your hope rest in? Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians verse th chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourself. Or you, do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? The Bible tells you to examine yourself. Other people can't do that for you. They maybe can help you, but you must examine yourself. Examine your heart. Some people's hope it's in their religious practices. It's in their works. There's some in the church who say, well, I was baptized as a kid. And they place their hope in that. That's not a secure foundation. Yes, believers should be baptized. But baptism doesn't save. 
Some people's hope is that they come to church every week. That's a good thing. We should be here. We need each other. But that doesn't save. Our foundation is in Christ. I want to give you from John, 1 John a few tests for ourselves. Now, as I give these tests, realize this. I firmly believe that we can be secure in our salvation because it's based on Christ, not based on you. But Scripture says that we should examine ourselves. So I want to be faithful to that. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. There's a belief test. A belief test. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So here's the question for you. Do you trust? Do you trust in Jesus Christ? Or is your trust in something else? Is your trust in Christ alone and His sufficiency? A second test, the obedience test. If we say we have fellowship with Him, this is John, 1 John 1, 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus uh, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. There's an obedience test. Now, understand, our works, our obedience doesn't save. But for the person whose life is built on the foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ, realizing that even in the storm, Jesus is with you, he might not answer your prayer the exact way that you would hope he would in the midst of the storm. He may not take the storm away, but he'll be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He is sufficient. He's enough. And for the Christian, we should have an obedience that flows out of our life, that we desire. None of us are going to be perfectly obedient to the Word of God. But for the Christian, there is a growing hatred of sin and a growing love of righteousness, of holiness. We should be growing in this obedience that we want to be holy. When we see our sin, we don't look to excuse it. We mourn it. We grieve it. We confess it. Third test, the love test. Again from 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Do you love? Scripture speaks in particular for love for one another. As Christians, we are to have a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to have a love for other image bearers of God, for other people. There's to be a love that grows in us. But that shaky foundation points us more to a love for self than a love for others. Now, we need to have a love for others. Uh, the fourth test that we can look at, the perseverance test. 1 John 2.19 They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. 
John is saying, hey, there's some who, who acted like they were of us, but they left. They did not persevere. A Christian, a person who has been born again, who has recognized their sin and trusted the sufficiency of Christ in dealing with their sin upon the cross, that person is secure and will persevere. Sadly, over the last few years, I've read about prominent church leaders. Some of these are people who lead worship in a church, who write worship songs. Some of these are pastors who, if you listen to their sermon, you would say, that sermon is teaching truth. Who have denied their faith and turned from Jesus and said, we do not believe. I mourn that. I grieve that. But let me tell you, for the person whose life is truly built upon the rock, who's a new creation, they will persevere to the end. Christian, you are secure in Christ. He will see you to the end. But Scripture also says that we are to examine ourselves, to look at our lives and say, Am I, is my life truly built upon the rock that is Christ? Or is it built upon something else? The last words Jesus speaks in this sermon. He says, The house fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus ends with a tragic warning, a tragic situation that this is the house fell because. Everything this person had built upon was shaking sand. We all are building our lives on something. We're all building something with how we live. Most important thing about a building is its foundation. And that's the question for each of us. What are we building upon? When Jesus finishes this sermon in verse 28, it says that they were all astonished. The word literally could be translated, they were blown away by what Jesus said. He taught as one with authority, not as the scribes. Here's how the scribes taught. Rabbi so-and-so says this. Rabbi so-and-so says this. Jesus taught direct from God because he is God. He says in the Great Commission, he has all authority. So when you're in that storm, remember this. Our Savior Jesus... He has all authority. And when you're in that storm, recognize the ship may rock. It may seem like you're not going to make it. But Jesus will see you through. You are secure with Him. He will guide you through the storm. You can trust in that. And that's how Jesus ends this message. Church, May we be people who have firmly built our lives upon the rock that is Jesus Christ. May we heed the words of the Sermon on the Mount and live by them, knowing that that's the fruit of our faithfulness. That's the sign of a heart that's been transformed, that's been turned from stone to flesh, a person that's been awakened to life. Some of you here today, you've 
You may be wondering, asking yourselves, do I really trust Christ? I don't think that's a question we should be afraid of. I think even for the Christian, we ask ourselves that question occasionally. Do I trust Him with all my life? Am I building my life firmly upon the rock? Or have I been deceived and I'm building my rock upon other things? And churches, we grieve that there are many on the road that leads to destruction. May we be found faithful like evangelist in Pilgrim's Progress to say, walk through the narrow gate. Head that direction. God has made a way. And that way is beautiful and glorious. That way is Jesus Christ himself. I pray that we trust him and build our lives upon Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. It is true. I thank you that I can step up here and speak not with confidence of anything that I would say or any ability or anything like that. I can speak with confidence because I know your word is true. So Lord, if there's been anything that's been said today or even as we've looked at this beautiful sermon, the Sermon on the Mount that is less than your truth, please allow that to fall on mute, deaf ears. But Lord, the truths that are from your word, that you have spoken, may we hear them. May they impact our heart. May they transform us. And Lord, I know there are those here today who, who haven't trusted you. Some here today that maybe believe some facts about you, but they haven't placed their hope in you. They haven't built their life on the rock. They're not living for you. If a storm came, they might abandon you, thinking, God, this isn't fair. When the reality is fairness is that you would cast us into hell, uh, sinners, and what you've done is be graceful, giving us a way to be, come to yourself through Christ. So Lord, if there's any here today, I pray that they would see the beauty the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ. You are beautiful. You are magnificent. You are glorious. Don't let us lose sight of the grace-filled gate that is Jesus Christ, of the solid rock that is Christ, of the good shepherd that is Christ, of the way, the truth, and the life that is Jesus Christ. For we pray this in the only name that can save, the name of Jesus. Amen.